I'm Caroline, a yoga teacher with a special interest in menopause based in Edinburgh. And hi, I'm Dr Claire, a GP with a special interest in menopause based in North London. Together we are the Menopause Sisters and we are here to guide and support you through your menopause journey. Welcome to the Menopause Sisters show and this week we're really excited to be welcoming Emma. Emma is a qualified nutritionist, a nutritional therapist and experienced chef and she combines the science and research with really delicious food um, to really help women embrace the change and the transition through perimenopause and beyond. And because of this and her evidence-based approach She's just been a guiding light, actually. Um, I met her through a course I had done and found the information she shared just invaluable, actually. And and Dr. Claire's worked with her as well. Um, So just really, really happy to have Emma on the show today to share her knowledge, expertise and hopefully some tips. So welcome, Emma Ellis Flint. How are you doing? Hello, thank you so much. Thanks for intro, and I hope you don't edit it because you almost said "Merry Menopause" there, and I actually think that's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. I love Merry Menopause, and it truthfully can be. You know, it, it it can be. It can be a great, lovely, fabulous time for us. I must say, I've actually become merrier as I've got older. That isn't not in an alcoholic way, but in a happy, you know, just in a happy happiness way because I've got to know myself better. I feel more comfortable in my skin. Um, yeah, so merry menopause it is today. All right, fabulous. Oh, and we are obviously coming into December. So for the listeners listening to this, wherever you might be in the world, we are based in the UK and uh, we are recording this just at the beginning of December. So it'll be going out at some point during December so uh, yeah absolutely merry menopause for those Mm. particularly who celebrate Christmas as well (laughs) yeah Um, yeah exactly Emma just to begin with actually what led you down the path to begin to specialize in this particular area and this particular area of women's health Um, talk us through it yeah Okay, thank you. Well, look, I was a chef when I realised that physically I couldn't be standing up in the hot, sweaty kitchens all my life. I did go back and study my nutrition degree, and I put that together and just just adored the. I was just adored the whole um, marriage between the the nutrition science and food, and just literally what what's on your plate, looking down at what's on your plate, what you're eating, and that sort of thing. I loved it. But what happened was when I set up my clinic in Sydney at the time, when I was living in Sydney, Australia, I think, I suppose, I don't know, but I naturally saw women more than men. And then it more and more I saw women in perimenopause and early menopause uh, looking for answers looking for solutions and it, it I just kind of morphed into it and I became much more interested I think because of my age partly because some of my peers on my degree were already doing kind of um, endometriosis PCOS fertility all fabulous great practitioners and I was really interested in the perimenopause because I was going through it and so it was I was had a very personal interest as well as a passion from a clinical perspective. And so I did it and, you know, word got around and it was just great, great to get to know this area of, uh, which I didn't have any knowledge about, this area of science that I didn't know really until it became kind of more personal to me. That's how it happened. And clients that you see, what are they coming 
to you for? They, it, I imagine it's an absolute plethora of women with a plethora of symptoms. Are there any particular elements or nutritional advice they're looking for um, when they come to you? Yeah, it, it can, I mean, it can be very varied. But the thing is, I now live in the UK and I work at Newson Health along with all the fabulous doctors there, including yourself, Claire. And I certainly see women so because I'm at Newson Health I see women in perimenopause or menopause I see women often who are on HRT or just going down that journey however with nutrition you can really support that and you can really make that extra change and that extra benefit for a woman so they might virtually or physically walk into my clinic room and they yes, they might have a gastrointestinal issue that just is niggling or getting worse as they've gone into perimenopause. Or they might have a skin issue that is, is kind of interconnected with what they're eating or how their gut's, gut's behaving, so to speak. Um, they might also be lacking in energy and it's just not it's just, they know it's getting worse and their blood tests might be fantastic. Their HRT might be imbalanced, but it's just, you know, you know, their energy is not there. So what's going on and often what they're eating or when they're eating can really help and sort that out. I do see some women as well who have histamine intolerance or have some sort of histamine issue going on. And this can be exacerbated in perimenopause and menopause as well. So I see women and we work through a low histamine way of eating together that helps a lot and then then there were other funny smaller issues not funny at all actually nothing's funny but about you know issues that people have but there are things like I had somebody the other day whose hair was thinning and it was a perimenopause a menopause uh it had happened in that time for her however she was doing everything right except except for the nutrition thing. What I mean is um, her HRT was just really good. She'd had checks on her blood to check, you know, like her iron and things like that. And she was also working well on her like anxiety and stress doing the things she could and she did feel fairly calm and but she still wasn't going well. So we were working through her nutrition like that. And it, I only saw her actually last week, so I'm not sure of the outcome, but I have seen people in the past and food can make a difference to that, to, to their, to their hair as well. So from a vanity point of view, of course, I can make a difference to people's skin and hair and nails, the brightness and shyness of their eyes. Um, but of course it's actually more than that. I, through food, I've seen people's differences and they're like kind of really I talk about vitality and their mental health. I've really seen women's anxiety change beneficially actually go down through what they're eating. So it's kind of complex, but I've seen the differences. I've really seen it and I like that. And it's really satisfying as a clinician to really see those changes and quite remarkable, actually. It's great. And I think I think you're you're so right, Emma, because Caroline and I are very and and actually the Newson Health team are very much about treating women holistically. And we often say, you know, HRT is great, but it's not it's not always that icing on the cake. You need to look at other things. You need to be looking at your diet and your lifestyle and your exercise. All it's a package, really, particularly in the perimenopause. There's lots of things that could be happening and you can't necessarily unpick them all. But each one together 
is going to be really helpful for your health. And I think from a nutrition point of view, it's fascinating hearing that because for so long, I feel certainly in my training, nutrition was passed over. And I don't actually think I, I was ever taught about it. So when I talk about it now, I think so much more to this, isn't there? There's so much more to this. And it should be included more in, in the general cl- curriculum for all medics. But but it just goes to show how important it is at this time of our lives. And in terms of your journey to, to getting where you are now and specialising really in the perimenopause, what sort of what sort of sort of are the common themes that you suggest for your clients when you see them and what do you advise and how do you go about sort of tweaking what they're eating? I yeah. Guess? Yeah, no, that, that's a terrific question because I think you can, I can give you a general outline where, I mean, in individuals, uh, it's very important. So we, t- we have to look, look at the person individually. But if you give a kind of like an umbrella, and my hands are waving around at the moment, but no one can see it, so that's fine. But can you imagine an umbrella? And this is sort of the, the, um, the information I would give people generally. And I would look to what that they're feeding their gut well. They're, they're eating the foods that suit their gut that they're eating foods that don't cause inflammation and bloating in their gut. They've, within the foods they're eating, they're feeding their gut microbes because they, they massively affect a person's physical and mental health. And so, so that the gut is kind of like just in tune and is just working well. And for a person, a gut working well, I think everybody knows when their gut's not functioning too well. They might be getting bloated quite regularly or the bowel movements are either going looser and much more frequent or they're going more towards constipation and a lot less frequent. And and those changes and the outer balance uh, is just not, it, it's not healthy. And ultimately it has an effect throughout the body and mind. So I really look to the gut initially and um, with foods, but I also kind of think, and this is connected with the gut anyway, I look to kind of anti-inflammatory eating and that's not, that's not a, it's not very difficult actually when you break it down, what's anti-inflammatory eating? Cause actually it's quite simple. It's following for instance, a Mediterranean style diet. And I'll talk about that in a second because that's not even complicated. We don't all have to live on the Mediterranean to follow it at all. It's about eating foods that in the body create less of an inflammatory condition than foods that create inflammation. So foods that create inflammation in particular are um, simple carbohydrates, sugars, ultra processed food, that sort of thing. And that's easy food that we eat here in the UK anyway. It's food that it seems to be the easiest to grab and eat and um, easy, definitely easy from sort of a, a takeaway perspective or a, um, a way to just fill up if you're hungry and not have to think too much about eating. So there's nothing wrong with bread, but there's a lot wrong with white flour. And in its hard to break that cycle if you're used to it of of sort of grabbing a lot of bread because it's a great filler it's an easy food but if it's just got some whole grains in it fine fantastic you're already starting a a great big fabulous change to what you're eating Um, if someone eats a cereal perhaps not go for like just like a white flour type based or sugary white flour type type of cereal try and just nudge it out a bit and go for one that's got a little bit more kind of fiber maybe it's an oat 
oats based one, like a muesli one that's not too sugary, that sort of thing. So that ultra processed food, that very simple carbohydrate, sugary white flour type food can create an inflammatory state in our body, especially in the gut, but it actually flows through. And it's true, it flows through into our mental health as well. I've read lots of research, especially coming out of um, Australian University. Gosh, the name escapes me. It's called the Food and Mood Centre within the university. They're doing fantastic research, finally showing categorically that that kind of Western-style diet, the ultra-processed food, does lead to more depressive symptoms than eating a, a, a sort of a fairly wholesome foods, more vegetables, more sort of fiber rich foods. So that brings me back to the Mediterranean style diet, which is very, very anti-inflammatory. And I'll tell you the fundamentals of it, because that's what I mean by you can easily eat it in the UK, for instance. The fundamentals of a Mediterranean style diet are loads of vegetables, any type, doesn't matter what they are, any type of veggies can be frozen, doesn't matter, I like just vegetables, um, they're fantastic. Then they, when it, we're talking about grains, grains are definitely in the Mediterranean diet, it's more whole grains and, lot, and kind of different grains, not always the same, not always say wheat, but there's sort of oats and rye and then there's quinoa and then there's buckwheat and just depending what a person's eating and they're all really easy to use and there's sort of rice and brown rice and all that sort of thing so there's the grains and there's lots and lots of legumes pulses beans and chickpeas and butter beans and cannellini beans and lentils and all those sort of things and and not necessarily massive but just a bit here and there either in dips or just stirred through vegetable dishes they're fantastic really really good then there's lots of nuts and seeds and there is some seafood not just fish but there's all sorts of types of seafood there is some meat and not a lot and not great big servings of it there is some though um especially goat and rabbit and stuff like that but there's also poultry yeah so and so it goes on and a big fundamental to the mediterranean diet is extra virgin olive oil that's so fundamental and they're lucky they if you are living around the mediterranean your extra virgin olive oil is cheap it's fantastic and often you even know somebody's got a bit of a an olive orchard and, and you kind of get freshly pressed olive oil and that's the way it should be but sadly in the uk i'm not sure i've seen an olive tree actually except in um, a garden nursery or some sort of ornamental <laughs> thing uh, extra virgin oil is fundamental and it's so profoundly anti-inflammatory and so i'd really push it out there to everybody if they've got kind of a certain food budget to try and see if they can nudge extra virgin olive oil into that budget um, as opposed to other cheaper oils. So like sunflower oil, or even rapeseed oil, extra virgin olive oil is better than that. So that that's kind of like an umbrella. And I can get onto what's going on in the body and why those foods really make a difference. But they are profoundly anti-inflammatory. It's really interesting. You talked about the sort of, you know, the, the how food can affect our mind as well, because often in, in yoga, particularly, we talk about the, the mind gut or the gut gut brain connection through the vagus nerve. And we know there is that connection now. And as you mentioned, you know, research is going down that route, whether it's nutrition or it's breathing and looking at that connection, how we can really influence, you know, our mood, our, our mind state, you know, mm-hmm. whether that is the extreme end of depression or it's anxiety. So, yeah, yeah no, really fascinating to hear that as well. Um, yeah. And you mentioned also feeding the gut biome, Emma. I just wondered if you could maybe talk a little bit more about that, because I think for, for many people, for many listeners, actually, that 
just maybe it's not something they're familiar with. Feeding the gut microbiome. So the gut microbiome is all the trillions of microorganisms that live on the lining of your gut. And they live in this lovely mucousy, soupy, goopy kind of marshland that lines your gut. And your actual gut wall at, the, at those points is are quite, it's quite thin and, and fairly delicate, actually. And so this soupy, goopy mass of, of um, bacteria and yeast and I think other things, actually, <laughs> is really beneficial. And they act as, or as a defense, in fact. They work synergistically with us. And they actually help the transfer of nutrients across the gut barrier as well. And they, as I say, they work on the immunity. But they eat food that we are have in our gut. They, they eat food partly that we can't digest ourselves, but they also eat other food. And I'll, I'll get back to the types of food in a sec. But they, they, they poop themselves and their poop is beneficial to us. Their poop, their byproducts is a better scientific name, <laughs> is actually fantastic for us. This is what I mean by working synergistically. So they even make or enhance the making of vitamins like B12, for us, which is great. They enhance the manufacture of vitamin D. They help make the neurotransmitters and neurotransmitters are like the happy hormones that are chemical signals, which can be in our brain produced like kind of uh, good feelings, happy mood, that sort of thing. But in fact, a lot of them, like one's called serotonin, maybe your listeners might know that one. Um, serotonin, gosh, there is 80 to 90% is made in the gut. And actually there's a reason for that partly because the gut microbes help make it, but also serotonin actually helps your gut function as well. It helps, for instance, with gut motility. That's the movement of food through your gut. And so actually, this is not just about, for instance, those hormones, happy hormones being made in the gut and sort of somehow traveling up to the brain and producing the effect. That actually, there's effects in the gut as well of almost not a mood, but a really beneficial calming action in the gut as well. So those are, that's your gut microbiome and that's why it's affecting us. And what, what foods help them? What foods are we eating that help them? So they're called, those foods are called prebiotic foods. And that's the term for the foods that feed the gut microbiome. And those foods are things like onions and garlic and leeks and things like beetroot mm. and, <laughs> and some nuts and seeds, like think of the skin on, on raw almonds, that's prebiotic, um, fennel, parsley, dark berries, artichokes, ginger. Okay. You kind of getting the idea, but you know, I mean, these are the ones that have been researched. That's how I know about them because I see the research and it says, oh my gosh, it's just a great prebiotic and blah, blah, blah. But um, I should imagine really the plant kingdom generally. So plant food is prebiotic because they talk about, for instance, cocoa being a prebiotic and, um, and beneficial to the gut microbiome. And so that, that I, I think that really plant food generally is beneficial to the gut microbiome. I guess, so for, just for our listeners, we, you know, prebiotic can be a fairly new term to many people. And what's the difference between a prebiotic and a probiotic, essentially? Is that something that you could help us to understand? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So prebiotic, I hopefully I explained to you then just was that's what feeds the beneficial gut microbiome. And so probiotics are the actual active um, microorganisms that have are in fermented foods, for instance, and are also in probiotic supplements and drinks and capsules and things like that and powders um, that certainly the ones that go into supplements have been researched as having microorganisms, active live microorganisms that when they get into the gut produce beneficial effects, very variable depending on the individual and each probiotic strain has a variable effect on the gut depending on what, what we want to achieve. But in fermented foods, which are foods that are still have live bacteria in them, then there are also probiotics in them, i.e. there are live bacteria in them that when eaten are beneficial to the gut. So that's things like uh, live um, fresh sauerkraut and kimchi, which are both fermented cabbage um, dishes. And you know it's live if it's in the chill section of a shop. If it's on a shelf at room temperature, it's being pasteurized. So the beneficial microorganisms are being killed, the probiotic organisms. Then other things are things like yogurt, live yogurt or yogurt. And there's kefir. People might become familiar with that because it's in a lot of the UK supermarkets anyway. And then there's drinks like kombucha and water kefir uh they're drinks that are, have got live beneficial microorganisms and so they've got probiotic organisms in that and it's quite good it's quite interesting when we eat these or we take a supplement um or drink them then what they do is they join up with our own microbiome and they work together to produce beneficial effects they help to digest our food they help to make those fabulous byproducts that i was talking about those beneficial byproducts the happy hormones or the vitamins for instance and things like that they help to protect the lining of the gut wall they help with the immunity um, but they don't often colonize probiotics that we ingest don't often actually colonize the gut they just then gradually do their job and they go out in our in our poo fine um, but they do work happily with our own gut microbiome so they keep our gut microbiome happy you don't get short answers from me <laughs> <laughs> i think it's fascinating because actually this is a whole area of medicine that needs needs to be joined up with yeah. additional medicine and caroline and i often talk about sort of Western and Eastern medicine joining up and there being benefits to utilizing, you know, that knowledge for, for everybody. And again, nutrition, it's so important. It's like you say, it's, it's part of our immunity. It's part of how we are as part of how we digest. It's so, it's so important. And, and I know that you've got an amazing book, haven't you? We've well, got a few, but the one, yeah. the one I, re I recommend quite a lot is your happy hormone book. Yeah. How did that, I mean, I imagine that came about because you had all these amazing recipes and just decided to stick it all in a book, but, but it is, it is about kind of incorporating all of those ideas really, isn't it? In quite easy, simple ways. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think for a person, this is not actually too hard to, to do. And I'll give some examples in a minute. I really think that we don't have to suddenly change our diet massively to be, you know, shopping 
um, you know, in like whole foodie type stores the whole time. We, we can go down to just our local supermarket and get all we need really to, to, to make the difference. It's, it doesn't have to be too profound at all. It's what suits you and what makes you feel well. Uh, I think, and thank you for ma- mentioning my happy hormone cookbook. I think some people get quite lost. In fact, I won't run workshops online, groups and um, to, because sometimes people just really want that kind of real solid base and kind of see it come to life. And in the workshops, they really kind of, it really um, comes, comes home to them about how to nourish their body and, and to feel well. But just quickly going back to those fermented foods, I read just recently research about the anti-inflammatory benefits of uh, fermented foods in relation to literally joint aches and pains. I was reading it. Um, I actually was having a conversation with a pain doctor, a um, like a rheumatologist, and she was actually sharing this research with me. I hadn't even seen it. And I'm going, oh, my goodness. Yeah. You know, so that was out of the gut, through the body, you know, going the effect of eating these fermented foods was going as we call systemically or, or whole body health. And I thought that was just fantastic. Fantastic. I was going to say actually things like sauerkraut, I've been making it myself. And, right. and it's not something I'd done before actually um, until, you know, I did the, the workshop or the, the course that you joined us on, but it was brilliant. It was so easy. You know, there's lots yeah. of YouTube videos out there. So, you know, if that's something you want to do, that's easy. But actually what I found was it's really cheap. So yeah, you yeah. can go into a health food shop or you can go into a supermarket and spend quite a lot of money on a small tub of of fresh sauerkraut in the refrigerated area but actually slicing up a cabbage massaging it with salt you know leaving it to ferment or whatever it does for a few hours and sticking it in some clean jars is incredibly cheap and actually just one cabbage made loads you know loads and just having a little bit of that every day at some point whether it's lunch you know whatever whenever i'm eating i think has made a real difference to my digestive system, actually, I'm getting less bloating, for example. Um, yes, I've heard that quite commonly about sauerkraut, especially the one you make yourself, because the one you make at home actually does have more beneficial bacteria. Mm. Yes. And the juice even of sauerkraut is really beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's really good to know. I've heard, not heard, I've seen, I mean, I've witnessed, not myself. I'm lucky. I do I genuinely eat what I talk about. So in fact, I never get gut bloating now, but um, the... I hear a lot from clients and, and just from, from colleagues and people that um, sauerkraut, a tablespoon a day, and some of its juice makes a great difference. It's really, really terrific. Let me go back. I was going to say, give you some examples of some food, just to what, could, what can a person do? Because I think especially with this merry season coming upon us, I think it's a important time and people can get busy and they can really uh, get quite run down and it can be quite a negative negative time ultimately and of course and, and people can put on weight so it's it's important because inflammation is also a driver of weight gain as well as literally the foods you eat well actually it's kind of ties in because if you imagine if you're eating, eating rubbish foods they're inflammatory in the body and they also elevate blood glucose. And that means you've got an insulin response and it's the whole cycle of, oh gosh, you know, the poor liver, what am I going to do with all this extra sugar? Well, I've got to dump it somewhere. It's going to go in abdominal fat. You know, it's just like, what, what does it do? But let's go back to, so what, what kind of person do I always think, especially in that merry season, that if someone can 
their first meal of the day and whatever time it is, you know, um, the first meal of the day, they can, if they can make that quite nourishing for themselves, that's fantastic. That's a great start. And so it depends on the person what suits them. I mean, I tend to lean towards a first meal of the day being kind of based around a fermented, I eat dairy, so fermented dairy food like kefir or yogurt, a natural kefir or yogurt, not sweetened. And then I tend to add a little bit of oats to that, some nuts and seeds, some sort of fruits. Often I do in wintertime, which where we're talking now, we're in winter at the moment. I use, say, frozen dark berries or I might grate an apple in. Um, and I love that. Just love that. And that's really nourishing. It's got probiotics, i.e. fermented foods. It's got prebiotics in the nuts and seeds and the oats. And it's just and it's got protein in there in the in the kefir or the yogurt and in the nuts and seeds. So it's a really great start. And it's got lovely vitamins and polyphenols to not to nourish yourself and keep you well in the in the kind of the fruit of your choosing for your fruit well. So I think that's a great start. So you instantly nourished your gut microbiome, supported your gut health, got yourself off to a good start in the day. If it all deteriorates from there, okay, so be it. But that's a great start. And most people, I'm just guessing, can, if they get into the habit of it, have a good first meal of the day. Uh, it's sometime usually that they can, even if it's something they put into a container and head off to work with, that's fine as well. I'm not saying particular time because some people practice sort of um, intermittent fasting and they might start eating a bit later in the morning or close to lunchtime. Fine if it suits you. Other people really have to have breakfast first up. Absolutely. It's very individual. And so that's a really good thing to start. Then if someone can be as, as vegetable focused as they can with the other, let's say, two meals of the day, great. You know, they need protein as well. Don't ever skip the protein, but vegetables are really, really great for keeping your guts well and your whole body less inflamed. It's just really, that's it. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of oats, I have to say. I'm a, I'm, mm. I live in Edinburgh. I live in Scotland, so the listeners know. And actually, it's freezing up here. So I've moved <laughs> from my yogurt to breakfast that you've described, actually very similar, to now porridge. Oh, lovely. <laughs> yeah. And actually, just like you say, adding some nuts and seeds, which I can you know buy quite cheaply in a bag from the supermarket and stirring things in. Sometimes sometimes I'll slice a banana in if I've got a bit of a sweet tooth or like yep. grate some apple um, and just add some bits and bobs to it. And as you say, you know, once you've started well, it's a little bit easy to keep going in that direction, I think, as well. I think so. I think so. You know, if someone really has one of those type of pressured morning, whether it be because of kids or work or both, then they could always, I mean, yes, sure, absolutely, it's porridge season at the moment. And in fact, porridge can be made really fast, but if they just simply don't have time for it, they can do that kind of a whole overnight soaked oats type of a birchamuzi type of breakfast. And you can make five mornings worth. It can be stored in the fridge. You can you can do it. it. It's about, it's, that is a habit changing thing. Just nourishing your gut with the first meal you put into it in the morning, I think is just terrific. And not forgetting like porridge is great, but yes, you've got to add the nuts and seeds. Otherwise it's actually a bit too simple a breakfast and not, someone will be hungry two hours later. That's not, you've got to get the, the good anti-inflammatory oils and the good protein from the nuts and the seeds going in as well. 
Yeah. I was going to, I was just going to say to Emma, well, there's, a, there's an ongoing debate, not worth and debates, maybe not the, the right word for it actually, because I love seed cycling and that's what I then will add to my porridge or my yogurt or whatever it is I'm having for breakfast. I'll, I'll put it on eggs at some point if I've forgotten about it in the morning. And uh, there's no real, there doesn't seem to be much evidence or research around seed cycling itself. So mm. this is where Dr. Claire sort of sometimes rolls her eyes a bit because she loves yeah. her, her seed cycling. <laughs> But at the I, same I, time, I, I, it, I love my eyes, but I, <laughs> I also say, look, this isn't necessarily evidence-based, but it's what we call practice-based. So if it works for somebody and it's good for you, then who is anybody to say, don't do it? Yeah, I like, I love that. Like to, I like to give my sister a bit of a dig there, you know, occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, no, this, and, this is, and this is what we talk about, isn't it? And what you were just saying, you know, something that works for one person might not work for another woman. And actually, it's just finding the combination that works for you. And, you know, for me, adding lots more seeds and nuts into my diets helped my um aches and pains actually my joint yeah. pain, pain yeah. quite a lot um and i think probably has helped my you know my gut biome as, a, as an extra benefit there as well but all the yeah. nuts and the seeds the oils the kind of magnesium that i'm getting is probably what really is helping yeah no but that's exactly it it's not just one thing it's got you're right see so so i'm like claire so i dr claire should we call her i love that <laughs> um I, I can't find research to back up the seed cycling. And so in fact, if I can't find research, I'm not going to, in fact, suggest it in my clinic. However, if it's helping you, then that's fantastic. I think it's because it's nuts and seeds. It's not necessarily the type, necessarily, necessarily, necessarily. Um, let's have it. Let's just quickly look at that a moment because it is a really good thing. So nuts and seeds have protein in them. Brilliant. That helps to balance blood glucose levels. Um, and anyway, it's like, protein helps us to feel fuller longer but it's also they've also got anti-inflammatory oils in them so anti-inflammatory oils fantastic for our gut but actually of course our whole body aches and pains but our mood as well really important and it's got and they've got fiber in them so nourishing the gut microbiome and also helping our bowel movements fiber is really important to help bowel movements in either direction whether you loose or you're firm with your bowel movements so really important and nuts and seeds have phytoestrogens in them so in fact they're a natural source of estrogen which complements hrt anyway and so i think that that's really important i mean like flaxseed and sesame seed and chia seeds are actually particularly high in phytoestrogens so that's great that's that's having an effect on a person and then there's magnesium but there's also calcium in seeds so you know and this all helps with the bones and so yeah so <laughs> we have a whole podcast on seeds if you want nuts and seeds so <laughs> yes let's do that i'd love to I just could listen to you for hours. It's just <laughs> fascinating because hearing how actually making these small changes, I know you talk about your your magic 30, which I'm going to ask you about in a moment, you, you know, the 30 different types of fruit and veg. But, but just even these tiny changes, like you say, we don't need to be spending a fortune. You pop down to your greengrocer and buy five yeah. different fruit and veg or, you know, and actually, if you can just incorporate that more plant-based diet and fill yourself up with your Magic 30, fantastic. And that's, yeah. one, that's one of your top 10 tips, isn't it? Is Yes. Yes. I've just, funny enough, oh, so you, good girl, you've been reading it on my website. So I've just put it up on my website, the top 10 tips, I think, to get you, you know, like, really get you embracing 2022. I mean, whoever's listening to this, it could be, I don't know what day, but right now it's, we're nudging towards the end of 2021. So I, yes, absolutely. It comes at the top. And this is because 
gut, like we we as human beings get really bored of rep, too much repetition. I mean, rep, repetition habit is useful to us, but also we get really bored if we ate looked at the same plate of food every single evening. Then you know we actually we as human beings don't like it. Well, our gut microbiome is exactly the same. It's exactly the same. It doesn't like repetition in food. It likes a lovely variety of plant food. And so I talk about, well, try in a week to have 30 different plant plant foods. Now, plant foods are just not um, fruit and vegetable. They're really good. They're really fundamental. But actually, they're nuts and seeds, they're legumes, pulses, beans, they're spices and herbs, so and garlic's included in that. And, and so that's what I mean. Have 30, make sure there's 30 different things going in during a week. And that's great for your gut microbiome and for you. Lots more nutrition going in, lots more polyphenols, lots more nutrients generally. So yeah. Go for it. And I'd love to draw you back to um, low histamine and what that really means. I know you've got a low histamine cookbook as well, but what does it mean when we talk about a low histamine diet? What, what, yeah, what does that translate at and what can it possibly help? Okay, well, histamine is a, a natural reaction in the body to uh, um, just like an in, in, invasion, so to speak, of things that your body doesn't like or it's a response to um, certain, uh, like, for instance, the classic one is an allergy. If someone has got hay fever, we all know that. A lot of people know that. And they get kind of like this histaminergic response. And it expresses itself often with people with this sort of runny nose or sneezing or itching skin. Um, and it, in some people, genetically, a lot of people might have a susceptibility to more of a histamine response to external stimuli that kind of they find irritating. Other people might not at all. So all very different for a start. And what seems to happen in perimenopause and menopause is, is um, a person become a bit more sensitive to this. Our, our mast cells in our gut become more sensitive to... Um, a situation where we might have too much of a histamine response or it's, our gut finds it harder to detoxify it out. And so we get a reaction and the reactions are very varied. And in fact, the reaction is very similar to perimenopause and kind of menopause symptoms. And because in a woman, it might be gut issues. Well, that can happen in perimenopause anyway, but there might be gut issues and gut bloating and that sort of thing. There might be itching skin or even sort of um, really sore spots on the skin, um, itching scalp, that sort of thing, even watery eyes. Um, Someone might feel kind of like a bit um, groggy in the head or, or get frequent headaches. Now, this these are perimenopause and menopause symptoms as well. So it's hard to know. Um, however, if a woman is, is kind of managing her men, perimenopause and menopause reasonably well or has been managed, you know, say with HRT, but things are not working out well, then I might look to histamine as a, a perhaps a culprit here, um, or someone might just come to me independently anyway and just explain these odd symptoms that they've had. And I also ask, well, what were they like in their kind of 20s or 30s or even as a child? And you kind of get a, an idea, a track record actually going, you look at their history. What can you do about it? Well, first of all, you, you reduce the load of histamine going into their body by reducing the histamine in their food. And their drink. That's a really kind of actually quite an easy thing to do. And 
there are other things like kind of food chemicals that can produce a histamine response, even perfumes and um, in makeup or in face creams or in shampoos or in cleaning products. They can also be um, toxic to some people from a histamine perspective. But let's just talk about food and drink. And when I raise this with people, they say, oh, yeah, actually, I can't tolerate X, Y, Z. So things that we think of as healthy, like things like avocado, and mushrooms and like English spinach, they and um, aubergine or eggplant, um, they are quite really, really high in histamine that a lot of people can tolerate mm. and tomatoes actually. And a lot of people can tolerate, but some people can't. And they, because of this high histamine and their bodies, um, perhaps because genetically they can't, detoxify away histamine so well yeah really helpful and actually because it gets talked about quite a lot on kind of mm. social media and in you know in, in in groups or i would say facebook groups actually around perimenopause and menopause so it's just helpful to get an idea because i think actually often women are just not sure what it means have i got it have i not yeah. got it you know yeah actually. and i love those simple changes like you know not to, to harp too much on about it but just like you know you don't have to be spending lots of money but just that addition of an olive oil you know, if you just can do one thing, just do that yeah. one thing well. If it's just yeah. a spoonful of seeds, just do that well. Um, yeah. I was really interested, actually, Emma, you mentioned workshops that you run. What are they and how can people find out more about what these are? Oh, OK. Yeah. Well, they're on my website under workshop section but they they're four core workshops that I because I kept being asked these questions in my clinic work on social media and I kind of really just wanted someone to be able to deep dive into them through a workshop so one is literally what can I eat during perimenopause and menopause that is going to make a beneficial difference so that's that's the that's the one of my most popular the other funnily enough actually I heard you Caroline talking about making your own sauerkraut is a fermented food masterclass and we really deep dive into that as well and we make sauerkraut or one of the other fermented foods at the workshop and um so that and these are all online so it makes it really easy for a person to attend the other two is one's about bone health but from a food and nutrition perspective and we talk about that and then also I do one for histamine intolerant people or people who suspect the histamine song I can't diagnose they are but I talk through well how can you help yourself through food and drink and what in my experience seems to make a, a difference and for how long do you need to do that um to to notice a difference if there is going to be a beneficial difference so yeah these are my workshops they go for two and a half hours they're on my website um great make great christmas gifts if you're listening <laughs> this to this in december because there are i've got a lovely gift voucher someone can download instantly so literally on christmas eve if someone goes oh my gosh i didn't get xyz a gift you can get it fantastic oh no that's that's brilliant that's it's going on my christmas list actually because yeah. i'd like to do all of those actually yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm um, well, going back to the merry season as well actually um oh, yeah because we are in december and we you know we're, we wouldn't say we're back to normal here in the uk you know um covid's still around but actually we are getting out and about you know we're going out for drinks we're going out for dinners christmas parties are happening or beginning to happen and then you know moving forward to actual christmas day for those that do celebrate it and the celebrations around new year and this is can be really tough actually you know mm -hmm. for 
those in perimenopause and menopause because those who do enjoy a drink here and there you know we know that that it's not great to be drinking wine or beer you know it's, it's not going to be great particularly for symptoms always um and for all the temptations and treats that are around that we would perhaps 10 15 years ago just enjoyed without thinking about it you know there's that second thought so i just wanted to to find out from you and if there are any particular tips around this time of year of how you can maybe be kind to yourself support your symptoms but not feel like you're you know starving yourself from all the fun there is out there to be had potentially there is quite a few little things you can do for yourself first one is what i was mentioning before is if you can start with your first meal of the day being really nourishing really nourishing to yourself and to your gut and your whole body and your mental health. You start with that nourishing meal the first thing in the day. You can do that. I think you can really do that for yourself and do that. But then going beyond that, you know, if you're, if you're in sometimes in workplaces, chocolates kind of pouring out of tins, aren't there, around this kind of merry season. And, yeah, if you really want one, have a chocolate. Go, go for it. Have one of those little, you know, shiny chocolates and have one. But don't have 10 of them. It, it, that's all just if you want to just enjoy it have have one have one or two it's just to kind of like and then move away from them and and don't like kind of keep going because it is rather easy to kind of keep going back and having another one another one because they're not actually very filling um so there's that that as well and it comes back to the drinks as well absolutely go out and enjoy yourselves and if yourself holding a glass say of sparkling bubbles is enjoyable if you feel like you're getting into the moment if that's you then have it but don't have 10 glasses it like it's it's just that you can absolutely get into the whole jolliness of it without having a mass like get it you know just masses of it i think that i well i just practice that i really i you know go along and i enjoy it i might have a glass of sort of sparkling wine or something um because rarely in in a actually in a restaurant or a bar or whatever or a pub rarely can you get an enjoyable you can't get a sparkling kombucha or water here for love nor money unfortunately yet that will come about but not yet um but it also you know sometimes i have a tonic tonic water or something like that and actually it's really delicious and i don't know about you but if i have a gin and tonic I never taste the gin anyway. So if I'm having a tonic water, I couldn't care less. It tastes the same. And I'm really enjoying myself anyway and having a lot of fun and my mindset's there. Um, so there's that, that as well. I think it really helps if people understand what alcohol is actually doing in their bodies for them. Just, just let me share this with them. So when we drink alcohol, it's a poison, which is why it produces this unusual effect in our body, which makes people feel more relaxed and things like that, um, and kind of loosens their kind of um, inhibitions, I guess. But what it's actually doing in the gut is that actually the negative effect of it is it's quite inflammatory and it loosens the tight junctions that are, are that is that lining of the gut wall. Remember how I mentioned in that soupy, gloopy loveliness that's down there in your gut, that actually your gut wall is actually quite thin and it's got these tight cells knitted together and those cells let in the nutrients they want to let in and they don't let in the, the kind of the, the junk or the rubbish or, or, or undigested proteins or whatever the nutrient might be. And, and it's really effective functioning wall, except when we drink alcohol. Uh, and there are other things, other diseases affect it. But um, when we drink alcohol, those tight junctions loosen a bit. 
And that's not a good thing. So it lets in more junk, let's say, into our bodies. Not good, an inflammatory effect. Also, alcohol in our gut prevents the absorption or part prevents the absorption of B vitamins and vitamin C and things like that. So we're going to feel crappy anyway if we drink too much alcohol because we're just not absorbing the nutrients anyway from our food, let alone that the fact that our liver has to detoxify out the ethanol. And as we get a bit older in perimenopause and menopause, I'm assuming uh, we're older, that our liver just doesn't function as well. Yep. That's nice thing about getting a teeny bit older is that our liver just is not that pinky perfect mass anymore. It just kind of struggles a little bit more. And so it does struggle to detoxify our ethanol and it's not doing its job as well when it's got to just shift from doing a job of making us feel really fabulous mentally and physically to detoxifying our alcohol. Very simplistic terminology here, but if you know what I mean, you know, so yeah, we're not we're not going to feel as as good the next day. Not as bright and sparky. And oh, that's really helpful. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's all about balance, isn't it? I think there's that element of yeah. having fun and just going. Actually, I can have some fun, but I know, for example, for me, alcohol is one of my triggers for really sore joints and aching muscles. So it's yeah. a real trade off for me. You know, if I'm going to have a glass of wine, I've got to go. Okay, I've got to I've got to sort of get ready for this in the morning and. Uh, yeah so uh, yeah. for many women they'll find the same with um with alcohol particularly and uh and just having fun but being mindful of uh, of finding balance as well yeah that's it that's right it's a hard one isn't it it's very it's very easy to slip it back and yeah, yeah get into the moment yeah I think we're running out of time, aren't we? And I think we could probably talk to Emma for about three or four hours easily. <laughs> um, we like to finish with just a few tips. And I feel like you've given us lots and lots and lots of tips throughout this episode today. Is there anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with, Emma? Is there anything that you would say you'd add to? So apart from that first meal of the day, which I've reiterated a few times, I think Generally, uh, think think about the fiber in your meals. And I don't mean let's go and all eat lots of bran, but just when you're kind of choosing food, any food, if you're buying it or you're out or any time, just try and imagine kind of imagine your gut and, your, and how much you want to love your gut and feed your gut, nurture your gut. So look, look at fiber, natural, gentle fibers, and that's plant-based food. So it's vegetables and fruit and nuts and seeds and legumes, pulses, beans, that sort of thing, and whole grains. And just try and have that in your mind and try and lean towards that a bit more in your food choices. Just doesn't have to be massive, great big changes, but a bit of a lean towards it is really, really good. And it's going to make you feel really, really great. It's going to be about a change. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Emma. And we've got one final question, which we always have to send our guests in advance. It's a very particular (laughs) question. Um, We like to uh, ask all our guests, our female guests anyway, and it it comes from Eve Ensler's um, wonderful play, The Vagina Monologues. And she'd um, spoken to quite a few women and asked them if their vagina got dressed what would she wear um, and we said so we'd love we'd love your answer okay absolutely but if my vagina was dressed then it would be wearing silks and velvets definitely oh, just the the tactile beautiful tactile fabrics natural lovely i don't even care what color you know <laughs> i don't mind every and any color just be, just silks and velvets definitely that's oh. that's me that's my vagina. I love her. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Luxury. Eat her, whatever. 
<laughs> it's interesting actually that's come up before sometimes it's it sometimes it's her so yeah I know I don't know I mean the vagina it's fantastic isn't it love Velvet love my vagina Velvet and that <laughs> yeah, exactly that's right thank you yeah. so much for joining us on our UK Health Radio show Emma really appreciate you taking the time really and if you want to check out Emma's website it's emmasnutrition.com isn't that's right that's correct brilliant fantastic thank you both very much indeed thank you so much Emma it's been a pleasure and hope you have a very merry Christmas yes thank you I'm gonna have a very merry season seeing my family for the first time in two years so yeah amazing safe mm. journeys safe travel mm. and you okay thank you <laughs> 